0: The power of their data wasabi, another Boston based championship team.
1: Just celebrating championships out here, Sam. That's what we do. That's what we're doing out here today.
2: That's that's what I hear and what I see.
1: Outstanding. Yeah. It's been a good day. It's been a good day.
2: Um,
1: Hey, hey, Sam.
2: Hey Tyler! Hey, welcome. Uh, how, were, how has your week really been? Things I be been pretty with. solid out
1: here. You know, I got to be honest. I have to come clean. Um, I was basically Randy Quaid from Major League Two about the Denver Broncos all year. Um, and it's a baseball podcast. We're not going to talk about football much, but you know, uh, I'm. It's one of the only podcasts you'll listen to where one of the hosts is based in Denver and is from Denver. <laughs> um, First, my first love in life, it was, like, the Denver Broncos, then my parents, then my sister, kind of. And then, uh, like, you know, everything after that. But, like, graduated from college, got a job in sports talk radio. It was my first job out of school. And, like, when you work around the NFL, and that was, like, the Jay Cutler years, kind of fell out of love with the Broncos for a little while because, you know, Jay Cutler. Um, and so, you know, and then Tim Tebow. Uh, but the last few seasons have been frustrating because, like, John Fox, terrible head coach. They hired Gary Kubiak. He's just like the poor man's John Fox. So I was like, this year, I was such a doubter. And, uh, man, yeah, it was Randy Quaid in Major League Two. And then they ended up winning the Super Bowl. And that was a whole heck of a lot of fun. So, yeah, I went to the parade today. Uh, you'll hear us talk with Benjamin Hill later. I'm not in on that conversation because I was fighting the million people uh, who were in downtown Denver to try to get back. So great job by Sam for that. But, you know, pretty solid, pretty solid stuff out here.
2: Yeah, I should note that it, Ben said at the end of the interview – Uh, I miss you, Tyler. Stay strong. (laughs) And I don't know what he meant by that, because obviously you are staying strong in what is not a very difficult time for you right now. Yeah, no,
1: this is like, uh, this is a rare... Before we got on, I was telling you, this is the first... Uh, championship for any of my teams since before I had a driver's license. So this is like, I'm feeling pretty good out here.
2: Yeah. And again, apologies to the people of Cleveland and other areas. Yeah.
1: I'm like complaining about like, oh man, it was a long 15 year wait. And Cubs fans, (laughs) Cubs fans could have been born, lived to 107 and died and not seen a World Series. Well, Well, let's just
2: pretend they're Blackhawks fans too. There you go. That works.
1: Yeah, that's true. They got a Super Bowl. They got like 75 NBA titles. Right. They're they're fine.
2: People of Chicago
1: the White Sox. Hey, so anyway, welcome in. It's episode number 45 of the Minor League Baseball Podcast, the show before the show. My name is Tyler Mon. I am in Denver, Colorado. Sam Dykstra is in New York City at MILB HQ, and uh, we are set to go for the first post-football episode of the show before the show for 2016, which is always exciting. Uh, there's always that rash of tweets um, right after the Super Bowl ends. Like, hey, it's baseball season, and it's really hockey and basketball season for the next, like, <laughs> two, two and a half weeks. But uh, I did an interview with an Astros prospect yesterday who was getting ready to go um, to spring training on March 7th. He's one of the minor league guys. Uh, so he'll report to minor league camp March 7th. So prospects, you're looking at that first week in March, but a whole lot of 40-man and non-roster invitations that have been extended for guys who will be reporting in, like, not even... Uh, over a week, I mean, just barely over a week at this point.
2: Yeah, so we're we're getting in that countdown now, and it was really funny. Just Sunday night, all all the tweets that were just of baseball diamonds that were filling up my feed. So I was like, wait awesome. a second, the biggest football game of the year just happened. Why, why are we celebrating baseball? Because that's <laughs> what we do when we get a chance to celebrate baseball. We're, we're going to grab hold of it and run with it.
1: I was also a big fan of uh, the amount of major league teams that were live tweeting the Puppy Bowl on Sunday. In order to kind of like, I think, just backhandedly drive attention away from the Super Bowl. Oh yeah, the Puppy Bowl's on right now. Let's let's talk about that.
2: Yeah, but I mean, if we wanted to have a Puppy World Series, I wouldn't be against that. No, me neither. Me neither. So, uh, it it would just seven be seven games, best of seven, but it would always go seven games they every would just, single night. It would go. Yeah, never even if the
1: World seven Series seven, ended in four, just make the Puppy Bowl or the Puppy World Series go seven. Oh, of course, a hundred percent down with that. Um, <laughs> well, we're off and running. Let's get uh, <laughs> let's get rolling for episode forty-five. Uh, strike one. Three strikes for the 45th edition of the show before the show. Sam came up with this question. I really like it. I'm going to pose it to Sam first. Here we go. Sam, if you could trade one prospect from one major league organization to another, and this is not taking into account compensation, just one guy who you want to see in one organization different than his current one for one reason or another, who would it be and where is he going?
2: Yeah, so I came up with two of them. One I think is kind of funny. The first one is more serious, so I'll get straight straight to that. Um, when I kind of posed the question to you, Tyler, you know, sending it to you earlier today, I wanted to think of, you know, just the systems that could really, really use a boost um, in terms of, you know, they they don't have that many top 100 guys, just top talent in general. Who immediately came to mind was the uh, Los Angeles Angels Uh, Obviously wrecked by the trade of Sean Newcomb, Chris Ellis to the Braves. Uh, Newcomb was their only top 100 guy. Then I started to think, what did the Angels really need at the major league level? Uh, One of their big storylines of the offseason is that they've missed out on outfield talent a lot. Um, They really have a big hole there in the left right now uh, next to Mike Trout and Cole Calhoun. So... What the trade I'm going to propose, and again, this isn't—you know—the Angels wouldn't be sending anything back to this other team. This is literally just plucking this guy out of his system, putting him in the Angels just for fun. Uh, it was Lewis Brinson. Uh, he would be a guy who automatically becomes the top prospect in that system. Uh, he's a top 20 guy according to MLB.com. Pretty much any other list you look at, lots of speed, lots of power. We've talked about him, you know, ad nauseum almost. Or, given what he did in 2015, jumped three levels. uh, I don't think the Angels would exactly start him in the majors necessarily to fill that left field gap, but it would be a very exciting uh, concept for him to start the year at Salt Lake. Uh, Angels Angels fans get something to be excited about, something to watch the minor league system for. Uh, He would certainly be a super two deadline call-up scenario uh, in that way. And just that outfield of him and left, he's really a center fielder, but him and left next to Trout and then Calhoun and right, who is a very, very good defensive outfielder in his own right, would be downright scary for Los Angeles. And again, once he gets called up, that system would be devoid of a lot of really top talent again. But at least there would be that thing to cling to. We'd fill a hole. Um, I really like that one. The other one I'm going to throw out there just for laughs almost is uh, Trey Turner. Back to the San Diego (laughs) Padres. Uh, just because, again, you know, I wanted to look at the Padres and they they made some good trades this offseason, you know, sending Kimberl out, getting uh, a lot of top talent, Manuel Margot, Javier Guerra from the Red Sox. But they still don't have anybody higher than uh, I think Mar- Margot is at 46. Um, so Turner, number 11, according to com, would become that really star of the system for them. And he would also fill a need. I mean, they, they signed Alexi Ramirez recently to a one year deal. He's just a holdover while they figure out their shortstop position. Uh, you know, the Padres must be really kicking themselves right now for giving away Turner in the trade that eventually got them Will Myers. But uh, he would just be such an exciting prospect. Again, he's kind of blocked. He's not really blocked. He's in the conversation right now in the Nationals. Uh, they they brought Steven Drew in. They have some other options at shortstop. Um, and again, he would be in competition with Alexi Ramirez. But... that would just be a lot of fun to send him right back to the Padres, make him uh, go back to the team that originally drafted him.
1: I have a a trio of guys. Uh, I'm going to start – a couple of them are pitchers. I'm going to start with number one, who is – I would love to see what Lucas Giolito could do as a member of the Seattle Mariners organization. The Mariners have kind of one of those systems right now that I think is – you don't want to say – It's certainly not devoid of talent, but it's definitely down from where we've seen it in seasons past. But when you look at the Major League roster for the Mariners, they're not that, that far off. And if you had somebody like Lucas Giolito to throw into that rotation that already has Felix Hernandez, already has Tywon Walker, James Paxton, Paxton, you're not really sure what you're going to get from him uh, because we've seen flashes of a lot of really, really exciting things from him uh, at times in the past. But if you could put somebody like Lucas Giolito, who's kind of that exciting new chapter, and pair him in a rotation with somebody like Taiwan Walker, who was already that sort of exciting next chapter for the Mariners, and Felix Hernandez, who is one of the best players in all of sports, uh, certainly in all of baseball, I think that'd be really fun to watch that team. Doesn't really seem like they're that far off from contending. The last couple of seasons we've seen that. They've hung in there until the last few weeks. That seems like it would be a lot of fun uh, to, to watch uh, somebody like that come up in a system like that and have a chance to make an impact in a race the way we've seen uh, the Mariners hang around the last few years. Uh, very selfishly... <clears throat> My next pick is an easy one. I would love to see Joey Gallo uh, in the Colorado Rockies system just because (laughs) I want to watch Joey Gallo take batting practice at Coors Field. That's the only reason. I just think that Joey Gallo hitting at altitude would be more entertaining than anything that anyone has ever seen on a baseball field. It's like those guys. Remember that traveling group that maybe they still go around to ballparks, but the big burly guys who crush the softballs like 900 feet? That would be Joey Gallo, but like in real life. (laughs) Which I would
2: love. Right, it would just be that Futures game uh, home run hitting contest that he basically put (laughs) on during BP. A couple years it would be of- that every day, yeah, every single day.
1: And uh, third, finally, um, and this goes very much along the same lines as your pick, uh, Sam. But I think it would be great to see Brady Aiken come up in the Astros system. Um, oh, and I like There's it. a whole lot, obviously, that went on behind the scenes there. But Brady Aiken, I mean, we know the way the Astros develop talent. Now that Brady Aiken is healthy, he's uh, came out of last season's the number four prospect in the Cleveland Indian system. Um, I would be interested to see how the Astros would develop a guy like that. Uh, he won't, obviously. We know it's not going to happen. But if you could pluck him out of the system, place him into another one, he's a very intriguing skill set, uh, and I think it would have been fascinating to see the way the Astros brought him along and developed him. So yeah, basically just like the the controversial moves over the last couple seasons. We just want to see those reverse and see what those guys would look like with the original clubs that they had.
2: Yeah, I like how we both we didn't discuss that before. No, we did we not. We did not trade our ideas on this. <laughs> uh, kind of piggybacking on Brady Aiken. Um, I did want to just throw out another non-top 100 guy um, just because in it, 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 picking Gallo and picking Turner and picking Brinson, guys like that, it is easy just like, yeah, we would love to see top talent elsewhere. So just to take somebody outside of the top 100 for me, um, I, I'm a sucker for control. I love really, really good control whenever you can find it. Um, so I would like to send Joe Musgrove in the Astros system. You put in Brady Aiken. I'm going to take out Joe Musgrove from the Astros. Guy had eight walks in 102 thirds innings. Um, finally found you know some comfort of health this year. Played three levels. Finished out at Double A Corpus Christi, where he had a 2.20 ERA in 45 innings um, in that Astro system. And I'd like to send him to the Marlins um, just because I feel like the Marlins. Really lack that guy behind Jose Fernandez, that pitching prospect um who the the fans can really sink their teeth into, get really excited about uh, you know Musgrove is not a top one hundred guy right now I don't know if they would necessarily go bonkers for a guy like that, but just his uh, his numbers were just so eye popping last year, seeing him into that Marlin system that I think could use somebody um outside Tyler Kolek who is obviously a few rungs down, still has many, many problems of his own. Um, I think Musgrove would be a very, very interest, interesting addition to that Marlin system.
1: Strike number two, Sam. It is uh, There is a thing for every day now. Every day of the week is a thing. There was like I think it was like National Squirrel Day a couple of weeks ago and whatever. Today, the day on which we were recording this, which is uh, Tuesday the 9th, it is National Pancake Day, and so we figured – Oh, well, We got to talk about Joey Pancake, then, who was in the Detroit Tiger system last year with the West Michigan Whitecaps in the Class A Midwest League. Joey Pancake 2016, Sam, your
2: thoughts. Well, first, do you know why it's Pancake Day? I do not. Okay, I did not know this either until I went on vacation last year for Pancake Day in the United Kingdom. Apparently, Pancake Day is their version of Fat Tuesday. No way! Yeah, because the idea of Pancake Day for Pancake.
1: Oh, so it's not like a breakfast pancake. It's like one of the Mardi Gras pancakes. It's a crepe,
2: yeah. Basically. Ah, so, okay. like, we all went out for pancakes and I got there and there were these like slivers of carbs and I was like, what is this? Where's the fat and the <laughs> syrup and all that? So We're yeah, Americans. Pancake, I pancake demand day. my arteries being clogged. Right, exactly. I actually ordered a thing that was called the New Yorker because it had <laughs> bacon. So there you go. But so pancake day is when you take everything in the cupboard and you just put it all into this one dish and it's pancakes. So you can put anything with pancakes. But back to your question about Joey Pancake. Um it is it's is just a fun uh topic to discuss. He, we do wish him the best if nothing else just to see the name Pancake on a Tigers uniform someday. I uh, played 126 games last year at Class A Michi- West Michigan. Uh it doesn't put it, together anything that really really stands out. You know, s- solid player, uh 268 342 366 slash line, five homers, nine stolen bases. Um some okay pop, not great. Played second base after splitting the previous season at shortstop and third. So he has some a little bit of versatility there. Um was not particularly great at either shortstop or third base in 2014. So thus the move to second, he was much better. Had a 964 fielding percentage actually there last last year uh at the Keystone at West Michigan. Uh he's gonna be headed probably this year to the Florida State League, where we know. Offensive numbers get deflated even more. So his 7.07 OPS, that's kind of maybe even the ceiling that we're looking at for next year. Um, a lot to improve on. You know, the Tigers would probably like to see him add a little bit more pop, a few more extra bit or a few more extra base hits, a few more stolen bases. Um, but it's not without outside the realm of possibility that Joey Pancake is a future maybe utility player at the major league level.
1: P-A-N-K-A-K-E by the way for Joey Pancake. Which is a more
2: fun way of spelling
1: it. Yeah, it totally is. Uh, Joey Pancake, by the way, was a 2014 SEC All-Defensive Team honoree. He went to the University of South Carolina. A very good collegiate player there. Seventh-round pick of the Detroit Tigers in the 2014 Major League Baseball First-Year Player Draft. Congratulations on your big day today, Joey Pancake. I hope it's a good one. Um, Strike three for this week, Sam, in the 45th episode of the Show Before the Show podcast. Today is also New Hampshire Prime day and not the baseball team, but like the actual one uh, we've discussed from time to time talked about it a little bit with Todd Radom. The New Hampshire Primaries, that was the original name for the New Hampshire Fisher Cats, now the AA affiliate of the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, When that name was announced, fans did not receive it well initially, which is really a shame because it was one of the greatest names and logos and identities that's ever been conjured up for a minor league baseball team. But all that aside, um, let's discuss this. There's like a 1,000 people still running for president somehow. Um, If you could pick... A minor league prospect based on guys you 've talked to interviews we 've had on the show, um, whatever the criteria is, who would make the best politician now i want to I want to quantify this by saying in this respect. We mean politician in a positive way. Um, <laughs> so basically not 2016 politicians. We mean, like, who's a good statesman? Who would be a good Abraham Lincoln, a good Teddy Roosevelt, a good Woodrow Wilson? Who are the people you would pick to be uh, the guys on the front lines if they're campaigning for president of minor league baseball's uh, stars for 2016 to be on? Who honest?
2: could best shake the hands and kiss the baby? <laughs>
1: exactly. Hand-shaking, yeah, right. baby-kissing.
2: Yeah. Politics completely aside, because... Um, you know, everybody has their opinions on that. This is just personality-driven entirely. Uh, the first one that came to mind was Lucas Giolito just because he yeah, has that background. I mean, you can go back through our archives for the show before the show. Gave a great interview a couple months ago. Uh, very well-spoken. Comes from a line of actors. Um, so he knows very what he's doing measured. in front of the camera.
1: Yeah, it doesn't get too high. It doesn't get too low.
2: Right. Yeah. Has that great media training. I'm going to throw in another name, Archie Bradley. Um, again, another great interview that we have. Um, a couple of years ago I remember he was trying to raise money for victims of a tornado in, in his native Oklahoma um was getting athletes from all over the Oklahoma you know state area um getting athletes within the or you know baseball players within the d bag system to just sign things and send it to him he reached out to us asking for help um I think we did a blog post on it uh this was a guy who saw that there was a problem and wanted to actively try and do do some good and do some help um in an area that you know meant a lot to him. Um and I think that's that's what all politicians should be, regardless of what direction they're coming from. Um so in Giolito I think you have somebody who's good in front of a camera, somebody who could probably hold his own in a debate in some way, would um, at least know when to come out um when they say his name. <coughs> <That> person- <laughs> and uh in Archie Bradley you have somebody who who is actively trying to help his community and i think that's that's what we're all looking for in politicians regardless of our uh, politics as it were
1: I like those two. I like those two. Um, yeah, I certainly would have thought uh, Lucas Giolito as well. He just he comes across as one of those guys who I would trust Lucas Giolito watching my kids. I think he'd have. I think he'd be good to have his finger on the button at midnight or whatever the commercial says. Um, somebody else who I think would be a, a very good um, politician because of the enthusiasm he embodies twenty four hours a day. If you follow his Twitter feed, is Jose Barrios. Oh, if I was I thinking wanted, of him too. I if like- I wanted somebody to lobby for me, it's Jose Barrios. He's infectious. He's excited about everything. He
2: knows what he wants. Positive guy. I go Jose Barrios. He's very dedicated too. He's always yeah, to show tireless. You what he's Doing and it, again, it, you know, we're, this is in 2016, so social media is a big part of it. And Jose true. Barrios knows what he's doing in terms of social media.
1: That is very true. Okay, I feel like we have a good uh, a good administration.
2: A good I, I, I would definitely here. get behind that. Okay. It's interesting though that they're all pitchers. Do you think there's any anything-
1: yeah, maybe there's something to that.
2: I mean huh. pitcher might be the most I don't want to say egocentric, but just eccentric. Cerebral. Yeah. Yeah. I mean they're true. the ones on the mound, they're the ones with the balls in their hand. You know, they they decide where that ball is gonna go. Uh you know, especially starting pitchers, they're out there for the duration of the game. They usually the guys who get paid the most I mean, you see all the the uh David Price contract, you know, these are guys who Yeah they you know Teams count on a lot, so maybe it's no uh, surprise that we chose three pitchers here.
1: That is true. I, I will say that if we had this conversation a year ago, I probably would have said Chris Bryant on this list. Um, not just because dreamy eyes. I was going to say infectious smile. Elected. But- infectious smile, killer teeth. Uh, but again, like a really measured, really level-headed guy. A couple other wild card names who I think would be very fun in this conversation. Brett Phillips, our guy. Love Brett Phillips. He's one of those dudes who I would say, know what? He seems like the nicest guy on earth. I'll probably vote for him. Uh, Cody Decker would also be a heck of a wild card. If you were going to throw in a minor leaguer to be, you know, made his major league debut last year but cody decker if i wanted to watch a debate he's he's the first guy that i want to put on the stage
2: yeah i think cody decker might be the bernie sanders and that he would enter the race and you'd just be like you know i like him but i don't think i would ever vote for him and then the longer he would be in and the longer you hear him all right maybe this guy's got some points yeah this you know, specific brand of politics you might enjoy, it, you might not enjoy, it. but uh, I, I, he feels like a Bernie Sanders to me. Oh, that is that
1: is a very entertaining line of conversation. I know I'm going to be thinking about this for the rest of the day now, too. And please write into us too. Yeah, if absolutely. Somebody
2: that we missed, or for any of these topics, really, please write into us. Please tweet us. Please email us. All that fun stuff.
1: Podcast at MILB.com is the email address. You can also rate, review, and subscribe to the show before the show on iTunes. Find us there. You can find Sam. He's on Twitter at Sam Dykstra, MILB. I'm on Twitter at Tyler Mon. You can find us. Give us your politician recommendations. See, like I'm scrolling through right now, and I'm like, oh, Mark Capel. he definitely have a certain amount of, you know, he brings some sway. He's got a good contingency with him. I don't know, Christian Arroyo is a really talented young guy coming up. He's the Paul Ryan maybe. I'm going to think about this the rest of the day now. So that wraps up Strike 3. A couple of news items to get to. We discussed last week, former top prospect in the Philadelphia Phillies system, Jesse Biddle, uh, traded to the Pittsburgh Pirates. This is a really interesting transaction that went down, Sam, because Jesse Biddle was DFA'd by the Philadelphia Phillies in order to create a spot on their 40-man roster. He had Tommy John surgery in October, so the Phillies were not really concerned that he was going to be claimed off of waivers. They thought they could pass him through, outright him, I would assume, to AAA, and that would be that for his rehab process. Not the case. Traded to the Pirates. Stays in the state of Pennsylvania. But, man, grew up a Phillies fan in Philadelphia. Now he's on the other side. Now he's a Pirates prospect. Um, This is an interesting move because it was risky when the Phillies did it. They were very confident that it wasn't going to play out this way, and it did. They end up losing Jesse Biddle.
2: Yeah, the the interesting thing for me is that the Pirates are one of those organizations that seem to really know what they're doing in terms of Tommy John now. Yes. Uh, Jameson Tyone obviously underwent the surgery a couple years ago. Nick Kingham underwent it last year. You know, those guys have yet to return to the field, so we don't know exactly if the Pirates have done well in terms of their rehab. But these, the Pirates are not necessarily scared by that term anymore, especially if they're going after Biddle like this. I'm willing to pick him up, willing to give him a 40-man spot. Uh, I, I'll be interested to see if he makes it through the spring. You know, they, they didn't trade much for him, just a reliever um, who I don't think it ha- has much of a major league future. Uh, it's, it's a very, very small gamble. They could easily just DFA him again. And we start this process all over again, um, in terms of Jesse Biddle, but yeah, it, it's an interesting pickup as far as the pirates go wish Biddle, all the you know success in the world in terms of getting back quickly and safely. And he's looking at 2017 instead of 2016, but, um, we'll see if he, uh, he appears on the other side of the state.
1: And you kind of hope, I mean, we talked uh, at length about some of the stuff he's run into, but you hope that maybe a change of scenery does wonders for Jesse Biddle because a very highly regarded prospect as of a couple of seasons ago and some bizarre injuries and concussion he suffered in a hailstorm and the elbow problems and uh, finally culminating in Tommy John this year. So like Sam said, we certainly wish him all the best. Um, And one of our final news items of the week, uh, we actually had two champions crowned uh, in the world of baseball over the last week. For the uh, third time in four years, a Mexican team – won the Caribbean series. So congratulations to that club. Caribbean series is one of the most entertaining baseball tournaments anywhere. And if you got to catch any of that uh, this past couple of weeks, a lot of fun watching those teams, Mexico, the Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, Venezuela, and Cuba. This year, Mexico comes out on top. Last year, it was Cuba. The Cuban team only won a game this year. Um, they're very evenly played, very well-fought games. The fans are intense. They're into it. So a big congratulations to Mexico for another title there. Um, and in Australia, that league has wrapped up as well. The Brisbane Bandits are champions of the Australian Baseball League for the first time in their franchise history. Cincinnati Reds minor leaguer Donald Lutz with a three-run homer on his 27th birthday. As a matter of fact, it's a best-of-three championship series in Australia. So the Brisbane Bandits and it's pretty remarkable turnaround for them had never made the playoffs through the first 5 years of ABL history Roared to the playoffs this year, won the league's regular season title. They sit out a week. The ABL sends three into the postseason. Top seed gets home field advantage throughout the championship series. Uh, The number two and number three teams play in a qualifier to go to the championship series. So it was Adelaide, which moved on out of that series, and Brisbane, despite the week off, they roll over Adelaide in a two game sweep. So congratulations to the Brisbane Bandits for their contributions to uh, Australian baseball history and a whole lot of minor league talent that has rolled through Brisbane over the last couple of seasons especially out of the Tampa Bay Rays organization. And Donald Lutz, uh, a Red signee. Again, he was once a Red, made it up to the big leagues. We actually talked about him last week because he was a German-developed player who made the major leagues a few years ago. Uh, Travis Blackley, who was with the Marlins organization last year, AAA New Orleans, he got the win in that game. So congratulations to those guys as well. All it means that we're basically at spring training time. When the ABL wraps up, when the Caribbean leagues wrap up, that's the next step.
2: And always when, I, when the ABL wraps up, I get enamored by that trophy. You know more about it yeah, than I do. Yeah, it it's amazing. Massive. It's it's basically like the Stanley Cup. You know, yeah. put all the names on there, but this is much smaller and just so much bigger right you know you know yeah. more about it than I do
1: yeah it's called the Claxton Shield it's been around in Australian baseball since the 1930s and if you look we've got the picture of the that's celebrating with a trophy at MILB.com right now if you look at it um, it's sort of two concentric circles the outer one was added I think sometime in the 60s or 70s so it gives you an idea of how old this trophy really is and the inner one has been around forever I mean it's been around since the 30s and the name of the team that wins it every year is inscribed on that trophy. It is very, very cool, and it is gigantic. It's uh, one of those trophies, like you said, it's like the Stanley Cup. It only goes with the team that's won it. Nobody gets to keep it, travels to the next team that wins it the following year. But the the neat thing about it is the way Australian teams really embrace it when they have it during the season. The Perth Heat won four out of the first five titles in ABL history uh, since the league was restarted in 2010-2011. But it was cool what the Heat would do because they would take it around to schools. They would take it to community functions. They would have it at baseball camps. They had it every single home game in its own special VIP tent at uh, what was formerly called Barbagallo Ballpark now is Baseball Park Thornley in Western Australia. So it really is one of those very hallowed uh, sports trophies and it's pretty cool, especially for the Australian guys. It's really cool for the American guys to get over and do it, but for the Australian guys, that's what you want. You grow up dreaming of that the way Canadian kids dream about the Stanley Cup. It's that iconic and it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. You can check it out. Uh, our story up right now at MILB.com. You can also see some videos, the ABL.com.au, of the final out, the celebration highlights and stuff from game two, of the final game of the ABL Championship Series
2: yeah so now we all get to bring it stateside that's what that means
1: absolutely and world baseball classic qualifier starting this week in sydney as well um first of four qualifying rounds this week starting in sydney is the first one also one in panama one in mexico those are next month and one in brooklyn coming up in september uh but this week australia south africa new zealand and uh the philippines those four teams getting the world baseball classic started for 2016 qualifying play ahead of 2017 so we'll talk about that as those uh, those groups get rolling as well. So, man, packed first segment today. In a good way. In, in a, a good way, way for
2: February, I would say.
1: When we return, one of the top 100 prospects in all of Major League Baseball will join the show, traded from one organization to another last year, not something you see generally for a first full year pro. But Sean Manaya of the Oakland Athletics, the number 68 prospect in all of baseball a Texas League champion last season with the Double-A Midland Rockhounds, Sean Manaya joins the show next i you. Headed into the 2016 season, we're just uh, weeks away from pitchers and catchers reporting for major league clubs. Minor league guys will get going very shortly thereafter. We're inside of a month, basically, until camps are at full 100% speed. One of the guys who is already set to go for 2016 is already in Arizona, is left-handed pitcher Sean Minaya of the Oakland Athletics organization, number 68 overall prospect from MLB.com going into 2016. Sean, welcome to the show. What's going on? Uh, Just
3: chilling, just having a good time out in Arizona and... To get ready for spring
1: training. How has this offseason been? This is a, a different offseason. Uh, for those who don't know, um, Sean, a 2013 draft selection of the Kansas City Royals, traded to the Oakland Athletics last year. So this is, um, you know, kind of different verse of the same song. I guess you're still in Arizona. You don't have to get acclimated to, you know, go into a Grapefruit League camp or anything like that. So there's some familiar surroundings, but uh, first offseason for you training uh, with the Athletics. You got some time in the Arizona Fall League. How has this offseason been compared to the last couple of offseasons for you in college and coming into? Pro ball. Uh,
3: it's just been—it's been a lot different. Uh, last year I was out in, a, in surprise, and the whole offseason I was working out, wasn't like throwing or doing anything, and wasn't doing like any baseball activities. And uh, like you said, this uh, past offseason I was in the fall league, and uh, I mean I was just really thankful to be in that league and uh, get exposure out there, get it's like some great hitters and all that. And uh, I feel like it's really helping because I didn't really get that many innings during the season, and uh, just trying to keep my arm healthy and doing all that stuff and it's uh, it's been a really great learning experience going through all that and uh, I feel like it's definitely going to help me uh, like push myself farther this, this season and uh, just get ready uh, even faster
2: and uh, yeah, as Tyler kind of mentioned you make that move from the Royals to the A's what kind of has stood out about the A's system so far what have been the differences maybe you've noticed or what is it about being an A's prospect that you've noticed that's kind of different for you
3: um, I'd say like uh, the organizations are completely different. Um, like the Royals, there's um, I feel like it's more structured and uh, like kind of like people have to be like, like certain places at uh, like certain times all everything like that. And, uh, with the it's kind of more uh, like not do your own thing. I mean, there's still uh, like some structure to it and everything like that, but I feel like there's a little more freedom and. Uh, to me I feel like that's that's helped me a lot, just uh being like my own person and um like doing my own thing, like figuring out my own routines and uh what I need to do to get ready for start and all, everything like that and uh I feel like that's probably the biggest thing I've I've come away with, uh like getting from the Royals to the A's and uh it just really it's been a really easy transition for me and I've really enjoyed it so far.
2: Yeah, and you mentioned you know, kind of developing your own routines, kinda of the one of the things you went through last year, you had an abdominal strain, a groin strain, and you know, held back. That's why you went on to the, the fall league. How do you personally work on getting healthy this offseason and maintaining that health? You know, what kind of program are you on? Regiment do you go through? Um, you know, kind of explain that a little bit.
3: You know, I, I, I feel like last year I was really, really, like, pushing myself, like, really hard in the weight room, and uh, I felt like I was doing, like, a lot of extra stuff, and, like, sometimes – uh, it's just like talking to like people like strength coaches and other players that like really, like too much can hurt your body and I feel like I I feel like I was healthy for the most part through the off season and uh there's just, like some days where I push myself too hard and uh I feel like that's like kinda of what led to uh like my abdominal strain and uh like this year I like I like I really like I don't push myself as hard in the weight room, like I don't do like all the extra stuff and Everything like that, but I mean, I still like feel like I do all my work and do it like is, like to the best of my ability. And I feel like toning it down a little bit, just doing um, like a little uh, extra stuff here and there, and just like every single day, like for an hour after the workout. Uh, I feel like that's that's helped me a lot. I feel like my, I feel like my body's a lot in uh, better shape uh, than it was last year in the off season.
1: Sean, the trade goes down. Um, You go from Kansas City, the only organization you've known as a a professional, to Oakland middle of last season. And your numbers improved significantly uh, after that trade. You and I talked for an Arizona Fall League notebook at one time uh, in the early stages of the AFL season. One of the things you said in that was, Something just clicked when you got to the A system. You just felt like you were able to go out, just focus on hitting the glove, throwing strikes and being aggressive and going after guys. Do you feel like to a certain extent, maybe there was some pressure with being such a high draft selection, um, you know, getting a little bit behind with the injuries, that kind of stuff. Did you put pressure on yourself at the beginning of last year with with the Royals that you were able to kind of let go of once you got to the A's? I mean the numbers were not at all bad when you were with the Royals. You started out between Wilmington and Northwest Arkansas and ERA just over four, so certainly not bad. But you get over to a double a midland in the texas league sticking in that same league you're in the a system 1.90 era you strike out 51 guys in 42 and two-thirds was it kind of a a combination of feeling healthy and mentally feeling a little bit more relaxed or what do you attribute all that success to
3: uh i i feel like i was putting a lot of pressure on myself uh you know like getting money like all that stuff throughout the draft uh the draft process (laughs) Uh, just being injured uh, last year it was my first time in big league camp and uh, like even then I was putting a lot of pressure on me like I, was, I felt like oh like I'm like hanging with all the, the big leaguers. and uh, like I got to impress everybody and all, all these things and all these things are going through my head and uh, it, it really stunk when like I, I hurt myself and then I put even more pressure on myself and when I finally uh, got healthy and got out the lungs and I was put on my putting a lot of pressure on myself to like make it up to double A AA or triple A or to like the big leagues and all, that, all these things. And uh, I wasn't just like relaxing. I wasn't going out there just pitching. I was worrying about results, worrying about uh, where I was going to be next and all these things. And I felt like that really just hampered my performance and I wasn't living up to like uh, everything I could be. I, I wasn't doing the best I could do and um, like, I got a fresh start with the A's, and I don't know, it was just a different mindset, and I, I really don't know how to explain it with the, when I got here. Uh, it just, something, like I said, it just clicked, and I was a lot more relaxed. I was a lot more, uh, just more mindful, like, mindful of things, I guess. And, uh, it just really helped me out a lot. And, uh, I just really don't know how to explain how, how it happened. It just happened, I
1: guess. Well, and the good thing about that is you finish on a really, really good note uh, personally during the the regular season. Then you guys go off into the postseason. You win the Texas League with Midland. And then you get to go to the AFL and continue that. And we ran into each other in Peoria, and you said to me that you were working on something different. Was was it with your changeup or your slider in the AFL? It was
3: probably my slider because, like, I think it was, like, two weeks before – uh, like the, like the Texas League, like the championship series. Uh, uh, my pitching coach, uh, helped me switch up my, my slider cause I was getting like around it like too early and it was just being like big, really big and loopy and, uh, he just literally just took the ball and like flipped it like 180 degrees and, uh, it's in my mind that, it, um, it, it just like clicked and, like I tried it before, uh, earlier, like in my career, like when I was in college and stuff like that. And, uh, I just didn't, like, really have the mindset of how to throw it. He just said something to me. It was just, like, keeping it, like, keep my wrist stiff and all these, like, different things. And, uh, the first time I threw it, it was, uh, like, to me, it was an uh, I was really, really happy with that, and I just, uh, kept trying to improve on that
1: in the So how much of an asset is it then to be able to go out and have that time? I mean, I remember the the thing that stuck with me most that you said that day was you knew that it was going to be kind of a struggle, but you wanted to deal with that in the AFL because that's the point of the AFL. You get to go out, you try it against really good bats, and even though it might cause you some issues, better to learn it in the AFL than learn it in spring training, learn it during the first month of the minor league season. I mean, how much does that yeah. experience getting to go get those extra innings? And the numbers, I mean, bear out. You got so much better as the AFL season went on. You had an ERA of 1.31, your final three starts. I mean, how much does that help going into 2016, knowing that you tested yourself and you finished so strong against really good competition in a league like that?
3: Uh, It helped out immensely. I mean, uh, a lot of these guys are going to be in the big league uh, in the next couple of years, and I know these guys are some of the best in the Just Being able to go out there and um, being able to throw – like, my slider, even though, like, at times it wasn't doing what I wanted to do. I knew, um, I'm going through struggles there in the fall league was uh, something that I feel like needs to happen, because I know it's going to happen uh if I make it to the big leagues. I know all those guys are, like, the best hitters, uh, in the world, and, um, just being able to, like, I guess, like a step down, um, towards the big leagues, you know, like, being able to struggle good these guys knowing that I'm going to be fine if I just keep working on it. Uh, I feel like that that helped me out a lot, uh, like, especially with like, my mindset, especially with like the mentality of things. Uh, just know you're going to struggle. Know that uh, if you keep working on it, will um, act for the better. And, uh, I feel like being not it in the ball, like, just go girl, so It helped me out a lot.
2: And, you know, talking about going from struggles to successes, um, one thing I wanted to ask you about was, you know, through your career so far, you know, it's been two years, but uh, it seems like so much of what you've done has been when you are at your highest has been wrapped around the strikeout. I think you have 236 and 196 career innings so far. So you're, for your career, you're averaging more than the strikeout and inning. How much do you kind of get wrapped up in the strikeouts, and how does that, for you personally, kind of de- define success for you in punching so many guys out in any start?
3: Yeah. Uh... Try not to look at those things. Uh, I know it happens. I know. I remember last year uh, I was like picked up, uh, for like this, like one of the strike teams, uh like MLB or something like that. And, like, I saw that, and I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. But like I, I try not to like like worry about those things. Uh, I like me personally. I want to go out and um, like go cheaper in the game because I feel like this whole time I haven't really been going, keeping the games, like, throughout my career, especially in high, I was like, at the very beginning of my career, like, I was going like, three, four innings with, like, four walks and, like, eight or nine strikeouts, and, like, to me, that was just the worst because I know, like, I'm putting a lot of pressure on the bullpen to, like, pick up the rest of the innings, and, like, it just, like, made at me that I wasn't doing, like, my job as starting pitchers to go to chicken games, and, um, if, like, strikeouts happen and, like, I have, like, a low pitch count, I'm going deeper the games, then that, that's great. But um, I try not to worry about the strikeouts. I mean, uh, I'd rather go deep into games and um, just help out the team, like, as best
2: as I can. Yeah, well, just to kind of, not to harp on this too much, but how do you kind of explain those high strikeout numbers then? Is it something deceptive about your delivery, you think? You mentioned the slider. Uh, you know, scouts seem to really like your fastball as well. You know how how do you end up striking these guys out if that's not entirely your aim?
3: Um, I guess probably my arm angle, I guess. Uh, I mean, I guess it's kind of funky from what guys have told me. Uh Just developing uh, better pitches, I guess. Like my slider, it was big and loopy, and I felt like hitters were able to see it. And I'm trying to make it uh, like faster and like break later and uh, like maybe not as much break, but uh, I feel like the closer it is to the plate before it breaks is, uh, extremely helpful because I mean, it looks like a fastball to hand and then it just, you know, like breaks at the last second. And, um, that's just something that's been big for me is just like development of pitches because I didn't have a change up at all, um, as soon as I got into pro ball. Uh, I mean, I worked really hard and especially, uh, this past spring training, I got to work with Ryan Matson a little bit he got he talked to me a lot uh during games and like during uh like uh warming up and everything like that and i mean he has a really really great change up and uh, i tried to like pick his brain as much as i could and um see what like kind of pointers he would he would give me and it it was just good the good the good thing about being hurt to me was being able to uh you know just throw the change up every single day without having to worry like being in game and like freaking out about it, I guess, about um, being good, and hopefully, like, hitters will swing at it. It was just every day I forced myself to just throw it, and it, was, it wasn't, it was like, a pressure situation or anything like that, and it's just, like, the development of it, I guess, is I guess what I about the strikeout, so, um,
2: Sean
1: and I will head into 2016 as the number 68 overall prospect in all of baseball according to MLB Pipeline. But, Sean, we cannot let you go without asking you this question. We, uh, When we get guys on, uh, there are always topics that we want to discuss with them, and I think for so long we've wanted to know this answer, so we're really excited to ask you. Your Twitter handle is one of the best in sports. Uh, it is at BabySMGiraffe. And Sam and I had a pretty detailed breakdown of this before the show. Like, well, you know, I mean, he's a big guy but he's not really built like a giraffe. He's a strong build, not like a lanky, long neck, awkward thing. I love that it's in all caps because I'm a big proponent of typing in all caps. Uh, explain baby yeah. SM giraffe to all of us.
3: Um, so my first first year in pro ball, uh, I think it was in spring training. Um, you know, we do all the the PFP drills and all that stuff, and uh, like I, I feel like I'm more coordinated than I am now, but uh, – people I mean like all the hitters would watch how you know, they're going to the batting cages, all all these things and uh I would be doing PFPs and like I'd be tripping over myself and like throwing <laughs> the ball away and doing all these things and uh one of the guys, Fred Heibner, he he saw like this, this show, I guess you could call it, go on and uh he was like, You know what? You look like a you look like a baby giraffe. And oh no. Out there on the, <laughs> and I was like you know, I was like at first I was kinda like you know, like that's that's kinda of mean. Like I feel like I'm somewhat coordinated. Uh, but I mean looking back I'm like, yeah, that that definitely fits the fits the description but he uh it, at first it was just saying it to me and then eventually he uh started saying it to the athletic trainers and then they started calling me it and then he started telling those strength coaches that I look like a baby giraffe. And they were like, Yeah, that's exactly what he looked like So it it evolved from just just one guy to like pretty much the entire uh, Royals organization called me Baby Giraffe, and eventually I was like, you know what? I'll uh, you know what? I'll accept that. You know, I I feel like I I can own up to that, and uh, I just owned up to it, and I was like, you know what? I think I'm just gonna name my Twitter handle uh, Baby S Giraffe, and um, so that's uh, that's that's the story of that. There you go. <laughs>
1: I really admire that. If you, at first glance, you were like, well, that's kind of mean. And then you embrace the nickname. Yeah. I really admire that. That yeah, is outstanding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Turn it on its
3: head. But yeah, I don't, I don't really know the, uh, why it's all in caps, but, uh, I guess it's kind of like my personality, kind of like being loud, I guess. And, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's that.
1: I'm a big proponent. I'm a big proponent of the all-caps, and <laughs> Baby Giraffe is a fantastic nickname. And now we know. Um, just as a quick follow-up, did you leave that nickname behind with the Royals, or are people calling you that with the A's? Uh, nobody's uh,
3: called me in the A's, but uh, I feel we like they see me you. like P's or, or something like that, it might, the name might come back. So. <laughs> yeah,
1: spring training. Uh, very so, yeah, over the next <laughs> few weeks, it could very much be back in yeah, play. Think- okay. Yeah. And, and now that you've explained it fully on a podcast, we've ruined it for you, leaving it behind yeah, with the so room. It'll,
3: it'll be all over the place.
1: So. <laughs> Sean Minaya of the Oakland Athletics left-hander headed into 2016, feeling healthy, feeling good, coming off a great 2015 end of the season in the Texas League and the AFL. Sean, always one of our favorite guys to talk to. Thanks a ton for the time, and uh, best of luck this spring.
3: Awesome. Thank you guys
1: very much.
2: All right, so we're doing the uh, Ben's Biz segment a little differently this week. Um, It's just going to be me and Ben um, by ourselves in New York. Um, So welcome in, Ben. How are you? How's it going?
4: Hey, Sam. Good to be here. It's a little disconcerting not to be talking to Tyler as well right now, (laughs) hearing his uh, enthusiastic voice boom all the way towards us from the uh, remote mountains of Colorado.
2: Yeah, well, we can pretend it's there. He's off celebrating uh, Denver Broncos Super Bowl. Um, at, at the parade right now, enjoying the uh, the time with Peyton Manning while he's still there, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, yeah, I kind of want to get into, or at least start with this story you kind of wrote this week for minoring in business, um, kind of a former player going into working and helping find missing kids. What can you kind of tell us about that?
4: Yeah, this is a story that appeared on the website, mi- <clears throat> MILB.com, last Friday. Um, and you know, I've been writing about minor league baseball for a long time, and I don't like to, uh, you know, repeat my stories. But I did write about this individual and this organization in 2009. His name is Dennis Bear, and uh, former minor league pitcher in the Cubs organization. And he started an organization called Bearfind, which is dedicated to finding missing children by putting signs on the concourses of what he hopes will be all 159 minor league stadiums. Uh, he operates on the belief that. The more eyes on a picture of a missing kid, the better the chance of finding the kid. Hmm. And even if – the way he put it is looking for a kid is like looking for a needle in the haystack, so – even if the person who looks at the sign doesn't recognize the kid, that's one more you know piece of hay off the haystack or getting closer to the needle. So he is literally dedicated to his li- his life, his post-baseball life to finding missing children and using minor league baseball as the vehicle in which to do it. I wrote about him in 2009 when he was more focused on doing um, team photo giveaways. Uh, placing a missing kid's picture on team photo giveaways, but through the years it's evolved to saying, you know, we we need signs on the concourse because we don't need to make this a one-day-of-the-year kind of thing. We need to make it an all-day, everyday thing, uh, hopefully industry-wide. He's uh, been do- done it on a case-by-case basis for years, and now he's gotten several leagues on board, so it's uh, in the South Atlantic League, in the New York Penn League, in the Southern League, um, but he ultimately wants... This to be entirely through minor league baseball, all 159 ballparks, and just a kind of interesting life story to be a minor league baseball prospect, get injured, not know what to do with your life, and then devote it to finding missing children, even though Dennis Bear himself was never experienced, never had that experience, uh, never knew anyone personally who had a child gone missing, but he just felt that calling, and uh, Bear find is the result, and it's not bear as in the animal bear, it's uh, his last name, B-A-I-R. Uh, Dennis Bear and the organization's Bear find, and I enjoy talking to Dennis and uh, learning about what he's doing, and I think it's something that deserves, you know, a lot of recognition.
2: Yeah, so when fans go to these parks that do have these, again, hopefully it's in every minor league park soon, I mean, it's it's not anything that's intrusive, but where can they kind of find it, and what what exactly should they be looking for?
4: Yeah, I I think it's the kind of thing you don't have to search it out, uh, you know, ideally. It would be right on, on the concourse, you know, most teams have 360 degree degree concourse or at the very least the concourse is very prominent and um terms of moving about you're if you're just walking from the restroom to the concession stand or whatever you know this sign would be in a prominent place in the ballpark so you don't have to seek it out you're just going to see it as you uh, go about having your time at a minor league ballpark and um, each ballpark you know um, he works with the National Center for Missing Exploited Children who can give him you know regionally appropriate missing kids for each individual ballpark so it in each stadium it is a child who has a better chance of being found in that particular area and if the child is found then you know a found decal goes on over the picture and uh they'll work toward getting a new picture of a missing kid and just repeat the process and um you know hope hope just to do their bit to uh, to find missing children
2: has there been any success stories yet in terms of th- this in ballparks i mean again all you, all you're looking is for eyeballs you don't need it to be a certain success rate per se but has there been any point where they said, yes, I saw this one picture of a kid in this stadium and I saw him in the grocery store the next week, something like that?
4: Right, and I was interested in that um, you know, because Dennis Baer um, and Bearfine Fine, they give the fact that right now they featured 278 missing children at minor league ballparks and 65 of them have been found. Oh, and so right. when I talked to Dennis, I said, of those 65 that have been found – how do you know or do you know if any of them were you know 100% because someone saw that picture at the minor league park and, and and he he told me this is a direct quote we do not know that because of privacy laws on each profile we have the hotline number for the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children those calls come in confidentially so we never have access to that to that info so we go by the obvious the more eyes are looking the greater the chance that someone recognizes the kid and makes an anonymous tip so they're going on faith and, and, again, on the principle that the tried-and-true method for finding kids is to have as many eyeballs on pictures of the kids as possible, get it out there to the most amount of people, and he sees uh, minor league baseball as, as the, quote, ideal vehicle to do that.
2: And for anybody listening um, to this, you know, not necessarily near a computer, not reading the story while you're listening to this, again, it's BareFind, B-A-I-R, find, all one word, capital B, capital F. Uh, you can go to... Ben's story on our site about it. He has links to the home page. Read more about what Dennis Bear is doing on that. Kind of to switch gears almost completely, uh, one thing that kind of caught my eye, as I, I saw you tweeted about it earlier, uh, California League is releasing a 75th anniversary logo for the whole league, but they've made it team-centric. What exactly are they kind of looking to do here with that?
4: Well, I think this is a good idea, and I can't say it's unprecedented, but I at the same time couldn't remember seeing it before. Um, You know, teams often release anniversary logos, not so often as leagues. And the thing with a league logo, anniversary or otherwise, is you kind of think, well, who's really going to see these league logos? And uh, the California League, to really get um, their their new anniversary logo out there, they're turning 75. It's the diamond anniversary. Um, They've worked with Brandiose to create this commemorative anniversary logo. And in the process of doing that, created a team-specific logo for every single team. So there is a a, a california league 75th anniversary logo with each individual team uh having their own separate you know distinct and version of the anniversary logo which of course encourages the team to get that out there and it's specific to them so i think that's a a really good thought to instead of just have a league logo that kind of how do you incorporate that incorporate each individual team into it so the team has something unique to themselves that they can then you know use in their branding throughout the year to uh highlight their connection with the league and get out the, the the fact that the Cal League is 75 years old, which is uh, pretty old.
2: Yeah, definitely. And not to get in too much into the nuts and bolts of it, but I know Brandios is one of those brands that, you know, constantly minor league teams, now leagues, turn to to make these new logos. What kind of Brandios touches do you see in this one?
4: Um, I don't see anything overtly jumping out at me. When you think of Brandios, you know, you think of them having a hand often in the um, – encouraging clubs to go in a real irreverent direction, you know, the Chihuahuas and Blue Wahoos of the world and that sort of thing. You also think of, um, you know, a lot of anthropomorphism. Um, usually you have an alternate logo with someone carrying a bat and or a bindle stick. Um, so I don't see the kind of more overtly zany, brandios uh, touches here. I think when you're going with the league's um, logo, you're not going to go nuts. This is something that's been established since 1941. But it has, I just think, a, a pretty clean and coherent feel for the amount of information they're trying to get in there, which is the, di- the a literal diamond, the number 75, the name of the league, you know, palm trees around the league to, I guess, you know, signify California, and then each one having an individual logo within the diamond. So I think their focus was more on how do we incorporate this much information into. Um, you know such a small amount of space.
2: Yeah, and and for anybody, you know, again who wants to see this, go on to the California League site that all the logos are there. Uh one really interesting one for me is just the Lake Elsinore Storm one. Uh the Diamond has just those two beady eyes that we always associate with the Lake Elsinore Storm. Gives the diamond itself a little bit of a cool look. Look look makes it look like the diamond's looking right at you. Um perhaps that's a little bit appropriate. Lake Elsinore uh, is doing I think the All Star Game this year against the Carolina League June twenty first, so kind of cool that they get the coolest logo, uh, in, in this kind of brand set. Uh, what else do you have coming up this the rest of this week on the blog? I know you're still going through some of your trips. Uh, Richmond was one of them.
4: Yeah, lots of stuff always coming on the blog. Uh, reliving some of the road trips with uh, my non ballpark wanderings that'll be continuing as as long as I have the chance to do it. Uh, my last ballpark uh, or my last post was about. Uh, Uh, visiting Richmond Flying Squirrels and having a little time to poke around the used books and record stores as I am uh, wont to do um, so we've got a few more of those uh, return-to-the-road type posts and lots of uh, Bula-based posts of just all sorts of uh, minor league odds and ends. And, you know, we're starting to see a lot of promo schedules being released right now, so I'm uh, diligently compiling them and trying to tweet out the best ones, and uh, I'll have some of that on the blog as well. You know, the minor league baseball train, it, it never stops a rolling.
2: Yeah, any, any you can give us a taste of right now? I know we were talking about the Manatee Bobblehead before. That's in Bradenton and not Brevard County for uh, for different reasons than just name. Alone.
4: Right, right. The Florida State League has a team called the Brevard County Manatees, but the Brevard County Manatees are not the team that is giving away a manatee bobblehead this year. That would be the Bradenton Marauders, who are giving away a bobblehead of Snooty the Manatee, because Snooty lives in the Bradenton area. Uh, he calls a local museum home. And the Marauders are giving away a Snooty Manatee bobblehead on July 23rd, which is Snooty's 68th birthday, and he's recognized as the world's oldest manatee. So... Um, July 23rd, make sure you say uh, happy birthday to Snooty the Manatee born in 1948, still going strong and now finally he's got it made he's got his own bobblehead not from the Brevard County Manatees but from the Bradenton Marauders
2: there you go, alright, so you can check out all, all of that on Ben's blog which is bensbiz.mlblogs.com you can check out Ben on Twitter at bensbiz, spelled exactly how you think it is uh, thank you Ben for joining us and we'll be back next week with Tyler calling in from Denver just like the old times
4: yeah. Thanks, Tim. Good talking to you. And Tyler, I miss you, buddy. Stay strong. Sean I is
1: on Twitter at BabySM Giraffe, as you heard, and Benjamin Hill is at Ben's Biz. A big thanks to those guys for joining us on the show. And we're gonna wrap up this week's edition of the Show Before the Show podcast. And uh, this is again like the last couple of weeks before we start getting to talk about actual game action. Actual camp action, all that kind of stuff. College baseball returns this week. uh there are college baseball games on television today. I think so. That's awesome.
2: <laughs> it's baseball season. Yeah, much sunnier climbs than the, either of the places we're at. Yeah, Although, apparently you got a sun. I did. Tan or burn yesterday. I did. So. I
1: got a little sunburn at the uh, the old Broncos Super Bowl parade. So you know, uh... I don't know if I'm envious of that or not. <laughs> I like it in uh, February because then I'm like, oh, man, springtime coming so soon. If it was July, I would just be complaining nonstop. That's what I do. I just yeah, so literally soak, soak it more. up as long as you can get yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. And then once it actually turns into, you know, a regular thing, then I will be annoyed with it. Um, but, uh, a big thanks to Ben Hill, uh, for tuning in this week again. The top 100 prospects are out, uh, from MLB Pipeline. Uh, the top 30 prospects in each organization will be coming out later on in the month. So be on the lookout for those. We'll be talking about those as those come out as well. And, uh, big thanks for tuning in to the 45th episode of the show before the show podcast. You can get in touch with us. We are on Twitter. Sam is at Sam milB M-I-L-B. I am at Tyler Mon. And as always, you can rate, review, and subscribe to the show before the show on iTunes. You can find us uh, at MILB.com slash podcast as well if you need an RSS feed. Depending on the way you access your podcast, uh, head over there and find all the information on uh, how to find us there and be able to, you know, distract yourself for an hour at a, a nice day of work, not that we advocate for that. Uh, but that's going to do it for us. And uh, until next week, we'll talk to uh, some prospects and we'll continue to break down. The lead up to camp, with more major league invitations for spring training for prospects arriving this week and into next week. Uh, exciting news, as always, for that. So, until next week, enjoy the uh, the last couple of days of only basketball and hockey. We'll talk to you then.